If you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Malachi chapter 4, we'll be finishing our study of the book of Malachi this morning. And as you're turning, um, last week I, I gave the remark that I wasn't sure whether Isaac was bound or not bound for the sacrifice, and um, Bill Adsit, being the good Berean he is, uh, came to me and he says, the Bible tells you he was bound. So there you go. So he was bound uh, for the uh, when he went up uh, to take and become the sacrifice. And so uh, we now have that information and there's new things to find in the Bible all the time. Okay, so even your pastor has to learn new things about the Bible. So Malachi chapter four, verses four through six. And I've titled this sermon, The Last Words. Now there are people that have uh, written down some famous last words and amazingly they are not um, they're not very life-changing, <laughs> a lot of them. And so here's a, a couple of them that I wrote down. Uh, James Rogers, who was a murderer in Utah, was set before a firing squad, and they said this, what are your last words? And his last words, bring me a bulletproof vest. <laughs> da Vinci said this, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. And this is what he said, the Mona Lisa isn't good enough. Richard and Andrew Mellon, and Richard was the one who came from Ireland during the potato famine, uh, started Mellon Bank, and then also was a, a part of Alcoa starting that. And so he and his brother Andrew had a seven decades long tag competition between the two. And so his last words, Richard, to Andrew was this, as he called him and sweetly said to him, last tag. Bo Diddley gives a thumbs up as he's listening to the song, Walk Around Heaven, his last words, wow. Think about what would you say if you had the opportunity to give your last words? What would they be? Who would they be given to? In this passage, we find God's last words. He's about to go silent for 400 years. So maybe these are important words for us to hear this morning. Look at the scripture with me. Malachi chapter four, verses four through six. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. For behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, these are your words that you use to close the Old Testament. And then you went silent for 400 years until you come and begin to speak to Zechariah and to Mary, and to Joseph. 
And eventually, your son, our Savior, is born. So, Father, please teach us the truths. Allow us to apply it. But, Father, more than anything, we ask that you would change us to look more like Jesus Christ, our Savior, than when we came. For this, we pray in his name. Amen. So this passage should, for many of us, kind of bring us to a passage in the New Testament in Mark chapter 9, where we see the transfiguration. And remember, Jesus took up just a few of the disciples with him, and they, as they get there, uh, Jesus' appearance becomes so bright and brilliant that they don't understand. And all of a sudden, those disciples see with him Moses and Elijah. Now, this is very important because Moses represents the law, And then Elijah represents the prophets. And so Jesus is being shown to this world and specifically to the disciples that Jesus is God. And he is therefore greater than all of the law and the prophets that have gone before. See, Moses and Elijah can only reflect the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God. And so Jesus then would go on to, to take down the evil as he comes and uh, deals with a kid who has been for his lifetime uh, possessed by a demon. And so he, Jesus is showing to his disciples and to us that he is destroying all evil and darkness before him because he's able to. But for us, we have to now go back to the Old Testament. So what did God tell the people that they should be looking for? What is it that they should understand as he goes silent? So the first thing he tells us is to remember and obey. Now I want to begin by looking at the law and what does it mean to remember? Now there are general observances. So I would venture to say that many of us had general observances of Veterans Day this past week which means that we knew it happened because it was on the TV. There are obviously Veterans Day sales So maybe you bought something that was at a discounted price because of the veterans that have served you. Maybe you got a day off of work for Veterans Day. And so you got an extra day. And so you got to go, I get to sleep in. I get to do something that I want to do. Whatever it was, you had a general observance. This is not the word that's in the scripture, though. When it talks about remembering the law of my servant Moses, it's a close attentiveness. So it's not just a general observance, it's a close attentiveness, which means if you were someone who was a survivor of a 9-11 attacks, you would be a little bit more attentive. So they celebrated 20 years this year. They read all 7,000 names of those who died at the towers. Sometimes they used family members friends who wrote out, who read out the 7,000 names. To them, they played close attention. Maybe you served. Maybe you had friends who died. So Veterans Day means just a little bit more. Maybe you go to the gravestones. Maybe you went to the parades. But for you, Veterans Day was a little bit more than just simply a day off or a good sale. So God's coming to us, and he's saying this very carefully. He says, I want you to pay close attention. 
Because when you play close attention to my word, it's going to give you conviction. It's going to change who you are, and it's going to change your thinking, and it's going to change your behavior. And so he says to those people, he says, I want you to listen. He says, remember the laws of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him. So he is using three different words to talk about the law, the statutes, the rules. He's saying these are the three words that include everything that God had given to the people in the Old Testament. And it's very specific for us to remember that we're supposed to do all of Scripture, not just your favorites. You need to be having a a process that you read through all of the Scriptures, the hard passages, as well as the passages that you love. Those passages that talk about so-and-so begets, so-and-so begets, so-and-so begets, so-and-so begets, so-and-so, and you start going, this is boring. Why am I reading this? Those passages sometimes mean just as much as hearing the story of the gospel. Because God is showing to us that he is the one who loves us upon generation, upon generation. And why? Because he loves us because he loves us, because he loves us. And so we are to call to meditate upon the word. Because if we're not meditating, then what happens is we begin to decay. So we cannot stay stagnant. You cannot just simply maintain a nominal relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You're either growing in him or you are dying. And so there is the, the meditation that if we stop studying the word, if we stop going deep, then what happens is we start to find ourselves in disregard or becoming forgetful. That's the whole point of Malachi to these people. They were religious people. They did religious things. But then they also messed up in regards to sacrifices. They messed up in their marriages. They messed up in their giving. And they began to say to God, hey, you know what? If you don't give me what I want, then this is, I'm out. And so that's what happens to us. If we don't spend time in the word meditating upon it, then what happens is we do become forgetful. We become decaying. We become those people who have shallow roots. And when the cares of the world come, we begin to die and we begin to decay. So even in times, remember the the psalm that Dave read for us, Psalm 1? Again, our roots have to go deep next to the living water because if we don't go deep, then when the times of drought come, then we will not bear fruit. But if we have our roots go deep, then we'll be able to address any situation that comes our way. Why? Because we know that it is God who brings them to us and God is the one who carries them through. Remember when Jesus sent the disciples into the storm and Jesus got in the boat with them? Jesus knew the storm was coming. And what did he do? He slept. He said, this isn't a big deal because I know the end from the beginning. I know exactly where we're going. I know exactly the storms that you're going to encounter. So relax. Now again, I understand that's easy to say. Hard to do when the waves are cresting over your boat. 
when the sails are tattered and torn. But the Savior who put you into the boot, into the boot, into the boat, knew the storm that was coming. And he says, I am with you. Why do you worry and become anxious? And we live in a world of anxiousness. People are afraid of the, of the pandemic. People are afraid of losing their jobs. People are afraid of the government. People are afraid of the world as it's going. We're, we're, we're overwhelmed. And here's the good news. God's up there and says, what's the big deal? I've got this. But God, I might lose my house. Did I not say I have you? Do you not trust me? But there is the rub, isn't it? (laughs) So we have to make sure that we're meditating. As we go meditating, it begins to provide growth. One pastor talked about this. He, He said, I want you to think of it like a cow chewing its cud. That's a, now, that's a gross the scene. Because what the cow is doing, it's kind of up-checking a little bit. And it's taking it, and it's mulling it around in its mouth, trying to get all the nutrients. How's that preparing you for lunch? But are we taking God's word, and are we mulling it over in our minds and our heart, over and over and over and over, until it is a part of of who we are. Listen to what God says to Joshua as he's about to go into the promised land. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. For this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you, wherever you go. See, he's telling Joshua, who's about to go in the promised land and about to come against great armies, fortified cities, outnumbered, doesn't have the right weaponry, coming with young people. Remember? All the old people, they're dead in the desert. Young people, probably very few, have been in battle. This is the army that Joshua is bringing. God tells him, you know what your greatest thing is, Joshua? The word of the Lord. Know your God, for he is ever with you. And obey what I've given to you. See, we have to allow the, the truth to be just washing over us. And we need to know God's truth and we need to be careful and we need to trust it. 
For when we do this, then this is what God says to us. You will be prosperous. Now, again, we need to be very, very careful. This isn't according to worldly success. Because we understand what the world says. He who dies with the most toys wins. We've seen people in this world who've gained all form, all fame, all fortune, and have ended up committing suicide. See, we don't seek after this world's success because we were made for more than what this world has to offer. See, we're looking to godly success. So we are the ones who are supposed to be overcoming the world. And the way we do it is to allow the word to make deep roots into our heart because it becomes an anchor for our soul. So that's the first thing that God tells the people. Remember the scripture. Be in the word all the time. Let it make deep roots so that you'll be ready for every situation that you encounter. The second thing he then says in verse 5, he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So the second thing he does, he tells us to wait and hope. He tells us to remember, live in the scripture. And then he tells us to wait and hope. Now, he tells us that there's going to be a forerunner coming to this, and he speaks of a day, the fear of the day of a great and awesome day. Now, again, some of your Bibles might say a terrible day. Okay, now I think the translation here in in the ESV is correct. Okay, I do think it is an awesome day because, again, we have to tie it to the context. And remember, it talked about the two groups of people. There are those who are saying bad words against God and those who fear God. And so I think he's speaking to those who fear God. And so it is going to be a day that's going to be awesome. And it could be terrible. Depends on which camp you're in. But I think it's speaking more towards those who are those who are of the Lord. And it's going to be an awesome day when Jesus comes. For that's the day that it's speaking about. And what it does is it gives us a foretaste. It gives us a foretaste of what it means to worship God. It gives us a foretaste of relationships. Acts chapter 4 verse 32 says this, The people were of one heart and one soul. Now again, that's our desire. That's our hope. Listen, I would love, I would love that each one of you could come up here and go down the aisle and go say, okay, I know who the Masseys are. I know who uh, um, Marion is. I know who the Wolvers are. I know who, and I'm praying for them. And I know them and I'm encouraging them and I'm building them up because I'm of one heart and one soul. But as the church gets bigger, right, that becomes harder. I'm going to say something very clearly as your pastor. Oh, well. Your family. And we are supposed to be in one mind, one soul, one heart. That's why God's very clear to us. He says, if there's something in between you, go and fix it. Because we are a family. And that's supposed to be a foretaste of what it's like. 
Don't you long for the days where everybody knows everything about you and they still love you perfectly? You're not judged. You're not defined by past sin or failures. You're not defined by past hurts. We're all together, one heart, one soul. And I would hope that you would find those people in this church. Because that is a very freeing place to be, to be able to be who you truly are without fear of rejection and pain. And so he says, this is a foretaste of what's going to come. And it's in this worship service. It's in the relationships that we have. And so what he's doing is he's saying, I want you to understand that this, this is coming. So don't spoil your dinner. It's just a foretaste. Have you ever been that kid who came home after school and you began right away trying to find that snack? Whatever it might be, you know, if you're good and healthy, you know, you'd find that apple, you know, you'd find that granola bar or whatever. Not me, man. I was coming home. Where's the candy? Where's all the sugar? But you would grab that and you would take that snack. And a lot of times you used too many snacks to the place that you began to ruin your what? Your dinner. And what did your mom say to you? Don't spoil your dinner. Don't waste your calories. Well, what is the one way that she can do that for you? She gave you a foretaste of dinner. Look what you're having. You're going to have this great steak and potatoes. Now think about this, huh? With good sweet peas and buttered rolls, shrimp on the side. Now why would you waste it on a Reese's cup? Why would you waste it? See, God is given to us a foretaste of what's to come. So not only does he give us a foretaste and gives us a forerunner, because what he does to us is he gives us grace because he's telling us in this passage, hey, this is what you're to look forward to. There is one who's going to come and prepare the way. Now, I want you to think, as we come up to this Thanksgiving season, I think it's um, always very telling because a lot of us, not all of us, I'm sure, but a lot of us watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Right? So we watch this parade for mindless hours, right? But there's always one float at the end of the parade and never changes. What is it? Santa. And we know, one, the parade's over. Two, we know that Christmas season is now upon us. Now apply that to what God has done in this passage when he tells us there's going to be the Elijah who's going to come and prepare the way. And you need to look for him. Well, who is that Elijah? It's John the Baptist. How do we know that? Because the same scripture that's talked about here in Malachi is brought to us in Luke chapter 1, 76 through 79. And your child will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will, be, you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, 
to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. And because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Remember last week we talked about the sun of righteousness and the sun can be the thing that burns and condemns and takes out the northern people who come down and sit out in the sun too long. But it also can be a place of warmth and righteousness and healing. And so he says, John, you're going to be the one who's going to prepare the way for the Lord to come. The Messiah is coming. The son of righteousness is almost here. Well, how do we know it's John the Baptist? Matthew 17, verses 12 through 13 says this, But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. John was the forerunner. He was Elijah, is Elijah. And so he came and prepared the way of the Lord, which meant that Jesus was coming. So the day of reckoning was here. And so what Jesus says is you either have a curse or you have Christ. There's no in between. And so what he does is he begins to say what's going to happen when Jesus comes is there's going to be a turning. And so the generations, fathers to sons and sons to the fathers. And here, listen to these words. We're always one generation away from apostasy. So the question for us as parents or the question for us as grandparents are for you sitting in these pews, even if you don't have kids, the question for us is what are we telling and what are we teaching the next generation? The kids are not the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today. Are they equipped to become the leaders and the Sunday school teachers and those in the nursery and those who will lead Bible studies and those who will be up here to preach the word of God faithfully to the next generation until Jesus comes back? Or have we given them over to the world and we allow them to sit there with their headphones in and listening to only what society tells them they are to think and what they are to believe? We are called to be that generation that speaks where the father speaks to the son and the son's heart turns back to the father. Now, I want you to understand that it can be both a prodigal and the older son. You remember the story of the prodigal son, right? He wants his father dead. So what does he do? He says, hey, I'm going to act as though you are dead. So give me my inheritance now and let me do what I want to do. God lets him. He goes away. We know the story. He squanders it. And he finally comes to his senses, it says. He starts to come home, and he comes home not as a son, but he wants to come home as a servant. But there's something that the father does. The father goes and greets him, and we'll get back to that, but the father throws a a party. My son who was lost has now been found. But how did the older brother respond? Self-righteousness. He had a hard heart. He was in essence, now listen to me, he was in essence saying, Father, I too want you dead. I'm just going to do it 
in a way that's acceptable to society. I'm going to wait till you die to get my inheritance. And what I want is I want my money. And you know what? I've done everything right here, Dad. You didn't give me a party. You didn't celebrate who I was. So both sons messed up. But the greatest point of that prodigal son passage, it's the father. Because the father does something that during that time period was so unheard of, he gets out of his chair, he lifts up his garments, which was inappropriate, and he runs to his son. That's the gospel. That you and me, undeserving, has a holy God who so loves us, he acts inappropriately because he loves us. And he runs to us and he celebrates us. Now, I want you to know that John the Baptist, this predecessor, was worried <laughs> because he says this in Luke chapter 7. I want to read some of this to you, starting in verse 18 and following. Luke 14. Oh, no, that's not where I want. Eek. This is where John the Baptist, he's in prison, remember? And he goes and he sends two of his disciples and he wants to go to Jesus and the disciples come back and they said, John wants to know before he dies, are you the one? Or have I just wasted my time? Jesus responds by saying this, I've preached the word, I've healed the sick, I've set captives free. Go and tell John that I am the Messiah. See, that's what the gospel does for us. It allows us to be healed of whatever wound you might have, whatever you're being held captive to. Jesus comes to free you. And the only way he can do that is through the awful act of the cross. Because when Jesus dies on that cross, what he does for us is he makes everything in the universe right. And when he comes back from the dead, he brings to us life and life everlasting. So what is our application Mine to you is run to Jesus. Run to him. Those of you who feel like you've been apart from who he is or you just think this is simply you're going through the motions, you're going through religion, I tell you all the time, religion kills. It's always about a relationship with the living Jesus Christ. Run to Jesus 
speak to one another and stir one another up. Become one heart, one soul with the people around you. There are people here who care. There are people here who will walk through life with you, always pointing you back to the Savior. Let God mend your deepest wounds. Lay them before the Savior. I promise you, He will heal your heart. And then the last thing, pursue restoration. Fix the things that are broken while you still can. Because people will see it and they'll know that there's something different. So how do we end? We end with last words. Revelation 22, these are the last words that close the New Testament for us. And so hear these as we finish. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. For I am the root and the descendant of David. I am the bright morning star. And the spirit and the bride said, come and let the one who hears come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. For I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the word of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. For he who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with us all. Amen. So remember, be in the Word at all times. It hasn't changed. And wait. But wait with hope that Jesus is coming back and He's coming soon. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. Maybe. Because we don't like to hear where we have failed you. But Father, we thank you that the Holy Spirit comes and convicts us but you don't leave us in conviction and in sin. You restore us to that right relationship between us and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You allow us to live in the truth of the Holy Spirit, but more than anything, you reestablish our relationship to you as our Father. What an incredible gift that we are called the sons of and daughters of the King. And so, Father, I ask and I pray that we at Northside would live that out. We would act like brothers and sisters, not the ones that battle and fight, but those who protect, the ones that begin to teach and to love 
so unconditionally. Father, thank you for your example to us in Jesus Christ. May we die to ourselves and live for him. And so, Father, I know you hear this prayer. I know it's a desire of your heart. And so, Father, please answer and apply it to us individually through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, may this world see how different we are because of the gospel and because of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. For we pray all this for your glory, but through the Son of your, uh, the, through the power of the Son, your Son, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen.